The gospel reading comes from the gospel according to St. John, chapter 11. I'll read verse 1, uh, and then we'll skip down to verse 17 and read all the way through verse 53. From John 11, verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then skipping down to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. 
If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is bad. Now, you might be thinking that's about the most obvious statement I've ever heard, and I agree. Death is bad, and everyone knows it. But it still needs to be said. Death is bad. Sometimes Christians are tempted to act like everything is good. God is good. He reigns sovereignly over all creation. Therefore, everything that happens must be good. Or so we think. And so we try to act happy, even if we're not. Now this might sound uh, a little bit weird, but sometimes Christians are just too happy all the time. It's not natural. If you're having a really rotten day and someone asks you, how are you doing? It is completely okay to be honest with them. It might surprise them a little bit at first because no one does that. Uh, but actually, if they're a somewhat decent person, they're going to be flattered that you trusted them with the knowledge that you're having a horrible day. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Not everything that happens is good. Not everything that happens is even in accord with God's will. Some things are just bad, and death is one of those things. God is good, and God does reign sovereignly over all things. But that does not mean that everything that happens is in accord with God's will. God's sovereignty is not manifested by determining every event. Rather, it is manifested by him accomplishing his will in spite of evil, which he permits to remain for a time because he is patient with us as he waits for us to come to repentance. And so we can admit that death is bad. We can be sad. We can mourn. We can weep. In fact, we should. There are several myths regarding death that I often hear, even from other Christians. One of them is this. Death is good. I've even heard pastors say, for the Christian, death is good. No, it's not. Death is not good, and saying that it is makes people feel guilty for grieving. Death is contrary to God's design for his creation. It separates body and soul which God designed to be united together forever. Death separates people from one another. And this is not good. Death is not good, but God does work good in spite of death. We can certainly say that. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
And so we can say that for the Christian who dies, death is gain. The struggle with sin is over, and the soul is in the presence of Jesus. These aspects are very good. But the soul has been separated from the body, and the entire person has been separated from their family, their church, their friends, and their community. And this is not good. And so Paul ultimately concludes that though death is personal gain, it is better for everyone if he remain and continue his ministry. So death is bad, and we need to be clear about that. There's a trend in Christianity, and by trend I mean about the last 50 years or so, to think of funerals as celebrations of life. You've probably heard that before. Honestly, this is really bad. It is right and good, of course, to thank God for the life of all people, and for Christians especially, to thank him for the faith that he gave to them. And so that's part of what we do at a funeral. But more so, we mourn, because we've lost, and we are comforted with God's promise that death is not the end. We actually have the greatest comfort when we mourn. Remember Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he said that for a reason. When we permit ourselves to mourn and confess that death is bad, while also confessing that God is good, we're really forced to confess that death is not the end. Do you see what I mean? If death is bad, and if God is good, then death cannot be the end. God, who is good and powerful, will not allow death to have the final word. For Christians, mourning ultimately leads to confessing the resurrection of the body. And that's where we have our greatest hope. And here we follow the lead of our Lord Jesus Christ. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus did not go and celebrate his life. Jesus mourned. Even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he went and mourned. When Jesus saw Mary and the others with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Another way to translate that is he was indignant, which is a fancy word for angry. Jesus was mad. He was angry. It's interesting to follow Jesus' emotions through this passage. God is an emotional being. And that's where our emotions come from. Part of what it means for us to be created in the image of God is to have the same emotions that God has. Our problem as sinners, however, is that the image of God has been corrupted in us. It's still there, but it's corrupted. And so we experience the wrong emotions at the wrong times. But Jesus, being without sin, has the right emotions at the right time, all the time. And so at times he feels compassion and pity. Other times he is sad. At times he is even angry. But he is always angry at the right things. And here we see that he is angry when he sees Mary and the others weeping. Why? Is he angry at them? No, he's not angry at them for weeping. In a moment, he will also weep. Jesus is angry at death. He is angry that the soul of his friend Lazarus was separated from his body. 
He is angry that his friends, Mary and Martha, are now without a brother. Jesus is mad at death, and he is sad, and so he weeps. These are the emotions of God. God is angry and sad that sin would cause his precious children to die. And so we are right to also be sad or even angry. But we must also be hopeful because death is not the end. This leads to another myth regarding death. Christians often speak as if death is the end of the body. So Grandpa dies and mom stands by the casket with her kids and she says, that's not grandpa anymore. Grandpa is is with Jesus in heaven. And that's not quite right. Grandpa's soul is in heaven, but that is still his body there, and he's going to want it back. Or someone is suffering from some illness, or, or maybe arthritis is getting really bothersome, and so they say, I can't wait to get rid of this body and get into my new one. Now that's a little bit better. It's actually pretty close to the truth, but it's still not quite right. You will get a new body, but your new body will not be different from this body. It will be actually this same body made new. Your illness and your arthritis, that's all part of death. Death is not merely that terminal event at the end of life. It's everything that is driving toward that event. God's gift of life is that we will live in this body, but without the whole process of death. And somehow it it seems baked into the way that our culture thinks about death, that we just end up as these disembodied spirits floating in the clouds playing harps or something like that. This really comes from Greek philosophy and not from scripture. But it's just so hard to imagine that these bodies, these bodies that we're in right now, will be perfect and comfortable and beautiful for all eternity because, well, for most of our lives, they're going in the opposite direction. And so, despite confessing the resurrection of the body every single Sunday, like we did today, many Christians still think of eternal life as being a disembodied spirit. But Jesus teaches otherwise. His conversation with Martha is at the center of this account. She meets Jesus and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now this is both a complaint and a confession of faith. She continues, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus promises her this great promise, your brother will rise again. And then Martha confesses this doctrine of the resurrection that we've been talking about. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus gets to the key statement in this passage and really some of the most glorious and comforting words ever spoken. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The Gospel of John is famous for its I am statements and their accompanying signs. The miracles are not just miracles. 
but they all function as signs of God's greater gifts. The raising of Lazarus is truly marvelous in itself, but it's really a sign of something even greater. Now, you might ask, what's greater than bringing someone back from the dead? Honestly, not much. The greater gift is that Jesus will bring all people back to life. And what's more, he will transform every child of God into his perfect and glorious image. He will remove sin and every effect of sin, that is, death. That entire process of death that begins at conception and afflicts us our entire lives will be undone. Now, this is truly impossible for us to understand because never in our entire lives have we experienced even a single moment without the curse of death. But this is what Martha was talking about when she said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the greater gift that the raising of Lazarus points forward to. Even for Lazarus, coming back to life wasn't the best part of this. Because Lazarus, he would eventually fall sick and die again. The best part would be the resurrection to eternal life on the last day. It's not enough for Jesus to just go around bringing people back to life. He must deal with the problem of sin. So that when he raises us on the last day, it will be perfect and complete. And so it's really quite amazing. It's fascinating to me how the raising of Lazarus plays into Jesus' greater mission of saving the world. Raising Lazarus is the act of Jesus that finally convinces the Pharisees and chief priests that Jesus must die. You think about that. That has to be the all-time most inappropriate reaction to something marvelous. But they fear that if they let Jesus go on like this, then all the people will believe in him, and then the Roman Empire will come and take the nation away from them. And so they resolve to put to death this giver of life. What they don't realize, though, is that Jesus is completely on board with this plan. That is because he doesn't, he doesn't just want his friend Lazarus to enjoy a long, full life and then die again. He wants him to live forever in perfect bliss. And he wants the same for all people. Jesus hates death. It angers and saddens him. And so he goes to the cross to suffer the full cup of death for all time. He does this to grant us perfect and incorruptible life. He removes sin so that when he raises our bodies on the last day, we will not die again. Death is bad. Death is contrary to God's will, and so he will not permit death to last forever. Life will have the final and eternal word. For Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Our closing hymn is Redeemed, Restored, Forgiven. It's hymn number 402 in the Ambassador Hymnal, and you can, of course, uh, also find the full text of it in the bulletin for this Sunday. Redeemed, restored, forgiven, through Jesus' precious blood, heirs of his home in heaven, oh, praise our pardoning God, praise him in tuneful measures, who gave his son to die, praise him who sevenfold treasures enrich and sanctify, once on the dreary Earth's time-long trial. 